Well, good morning, ladies. It is good to finally be able to talk to you. You know, some people, you give them an inch and they take a mile. Father Jason just took over. To sh- no, no it's, uh, I'm very grateful to Father Jason. And I just, uh, the thought was you guys have been hearing me for like the last three or four years, so maybe a different voice would actually be a good idea once in a while. And uh, I'm getting good feedback and everything looks great. So maybe we'll have them back again. You can, you can send in secret ballots. They say, down with Father Eric, more of Father Jason, you know. <laughs> so I would like to talk about the program of life. Um, very briefly, I know we have a couple of these program of life books out there. I will leave this one out. Uh, I don't know if they've been locked in a box somewhere or are there a couple copies? We brought a few. I don't know if there's any left. Okay. For those of you especially who are first-timers or have only done a couple, you know, it would be good to uh, reference it. I would say try not to walk off and keep in your bedroom because there's only a few of them here. Uh, but, you know, maybe you can reference it here in this room and leave it handy. I think that would be helpful. Um, so a lot of what I'm going to say logically is going to make reference to the book. Um, so first of all, I'd like to put it in the context of this weekend. Why? Are we here this weekend? Fortunately, I don't have Siri, so it doesn't try to answer my rhetorical questions. Um, Why are we here this weekend? Essentially, it's to grow in love, right? That is the purpose of spiritual exercises. That is the purpose of a triduum. You can look at it from different dimensions. The spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius were kind of more of a first conversion experience where you recognize God's love and how do I respond to it, make some resolutions with the grace of God and transform your life. An ordinary RC triduum, this is kind of more the spiritual exercises this weekend, but ordinary triduums will focus on one or two dimensions of how an RC member lives their vocation in Regnum Christi, but it's always a vocation to love. That's always kind of the, the foundation. So again, this weekend we've been kind of recognizing existentially, not just intellectually how God loves me, but really from an experiential perspective, in prayer, in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, in a community that is praying for one another, being kind of filled with God's love, and then obviously the logical consequence is saying, boy, I really wish I could respond better. I wish I could be more full of his love, first of all. And we recognize there's something in me. Each one of us has something in us that is an obstacle, a blocking point. My particular, uh, my particular participation, if you want, in the results of original sin. Okay. And then, what can I do about it? And one of the tools that we have then is the program of life. So, from the beginning, I'd like to emphasize the program of life is not the goal, but it is a very useful tool. And it fits, there's three different things that fit very closely together. It's kind of like having a three-legged stool, you know. The minimum, if you want to have any stable thing to sit on, the minimum amount of legs you need is three. Otherwise, you have to do a balancing act. You could be like a guy on a unicycle, but most of us would not be very good at that. Um, So in this three-legged stool, you have spiritual direction, you have a program of life, and you have... Uh, what was the third one? Spiritual. Oh my goodness, I've only got two legs. We're going to fall over. <laughs> um, spiritual direction, program of life, and your conscience exams. Okay, As Regnum Christi members, we do at least once a day a, the examine. 
And the program of life, if you have a good program of life, it is something that we should take to our spiritual direction. It should actually be the basis of our spiritual direction. I tend to be a little sloppy with you and let you guys go all over the place, but once you kind of get into a, an established habit, it should kind of be the starting point. Okay, look, this is what I'm working on. This is you know, how things have been going. And then, of course, other elements of your life can come in. And then in your regular conscience exam, you know, there are certain generic questions that may be of help in your RC prayer book, for example, but we should also be saying, look, my particular life situation is this, the particular obstacle that I, you know, that is preventing me from really becoming the saint that God wants me to be is this thing over here. So I'm specifically going to work on this particular dimension. And that should be something that in our daily exam and we, we go over. Because the goal of a, a program of life is ideally in a context of prayer, like this retreat, when we have silence and we're in this profound context of where all the different means possible are available to us to kind of hear God's voice and to not only just hear it, but to respond to it, to want to respond to it. You know, in this kind of setting, this is the ideal climate or context in which to examine ourselves and then say, okay, what am I going to do? Once I leave this retreat, what am I going to do about loving God? That's kind of what the goal of a program of life is. It's a tool, but if we use it well, it's a very useful one. The unfortunate truth is, frequently, it becomes something abstract that collects dust in some drawer and then we pull it out when it's time for our next retreat. And then we look at it and say, oh, this is really good stuff. I should do this. And it's like, <laughs> you know. Anyway. We have, uh, I would like to also put it in this context. Most of us here are Regnum Christi members. There are a couple of exceptions. Um, and secondly, all of us are doing a Regnum Christi retreat. Nobody would be here if you had not had experience in contact with RC. So the program of life is one particular means. Um, I think it also fits kind of hand in glove with the fact that on the one hand, you've got your personal program, which is my kind of <clears throat> looking into my own soul with the light of God and the grace of God and recognizing, okay, what's going on in there? So these are particular means I'm going to work on to help me respond to God's grace. And then you also have, on the other side, your kind of RC family, which is one way or another, I belong to a spiritual family. And this spiritual family also has means that it gives at our disposition. We have a prayer book with prayer commitments. Those are not prayer suggestions or anything like that. They are actually called prayer commitments. Uh, I know over the years there have been debates, but we're kind of, we're turning old school again, okay? So we actually are militant again, and we have commitments, okay? So if you're signing up, you're signing up to do something, not just to kind of vaguely say, well, I like these ladies, they're nice, I think I'll just, I like hanging out with them. No. You can hang out with them and have tea, that doesn't make you a Regnum Christi member. Regnum Christi member means I'm committing to something, okay? Which means, you know, your prayer life, your spiritual direction, uh, having some form of apostolate, um, going to your retreats, mornings of reflection are not optional activities. I realize not everyone's schedule works and everything, so, but it shouldn't just be something, it's like your Sunday Mass. It's like, it can't just be like, well, if I've got nothing else better to do, I'll go to Sunday Mass. Sometimes I think we look at our mornings of reflection that way. It's like, I really, I guess I got nothing else, so I guess I'll go this time. It's like, 
OK, you know what? <laughs> so I'm getting sidetracked. My woundedness is coming out. <clears throat> so beginning with this book on spiritual direction, uh, and, and program of life, rather, this book has a positive and a negative to it. The positive element is that it covers things from several different dimensions. Certain things speak to people one way, and certain other things speak to, pe or to other people. For example, frequently, um, Mary Wolf will give this talk frequently on spiritual direction. She approaches it totally different than I do. Why? Because she's totally different than I am. We're wired differently. Um, both, you know, my the typical kind of Father Eric approach and her approach are both encapsulated here. Um, so there's a beauty to it that if one particular approach doesn't really speak to you as much, then you can read. And there's actually basically kind of three different approaches to the same thing in this book. Now the weakness is precisely because there's three things that can get confusing. Um, and you know we can think, well, well, it's just just a whole lot of stuff, and I've got all these analysis and different and trees and fruits and and, and vices and this, the seven deadly sins, but there's also the three. And the, so, uh, if you're not careful, it can just become a whole. It's like the catechism; it can become just a whole jumble of stuff. Okay, so I would recommend <clears throat> when we're using the book, recognize from the beginning. Um, it's hitting the same questions or the same considerations from different angles. It begins with, and here's a case in point, it begins with a section called the vocation statement, which is on page 14 of the book on the program of life. <coughs> Excuse me. The vocation statement, this is actually something that, like when I joined the Legion of Christ, we didn't have one of those. It's something that kind of developed over the years, and we realized it would be a good thing. And it comes from this. The idea is you are a Catholic in a very specific setting. Um, your vocation in life is going to determine, to a great degree, what, your, what the practical application of your program is going to look like. For example, this is something St. Francis of Sales talks about. If you are a contemplative monk, you should not be worrying about going out into society and you know, engaging in street evangelization and everything because you are a cloistered monk. That's your job. Your job is to pray. Uh, if you are, he uses the example of a prince, but let's say you're a politician or a business person, you're not expected to be in the church five times a day or seven times a day praying the breviary and doing all the things that monks do. If you're a married woman, it's not the same as being a single woman. So depending on your state in life, there will be a certain, it's kind of the context of your, the way you're going to live out your, your vocation. The booklet here on page 14 gives four basic things. It says, most essentially, child of God. What's that mean? You're a baptized Catholic. So the most essential element of our vocation is, I am created in the image and likeness of God to be his son or daughter. Hopefully only one at the same time. In today's world, you never know. But, um, some, sometimes it's like, from one day I'm a son, one day I'm a daughter. Who knows? But uh, I'm created in the image and likeness of God, in your case, to be a daughter of God. And to, that is the most fundamental level of our vocation. Um, but secondly, are you married or single? 
you know, that makes a big difference in the way you're going to live your spiritual life. Um, thirdly, it refers to principal responsibilities. That's going to come from, are you married or single? For example, if you're married and you have children, there are going to be particular responsibilities that come from that, right? And again, sometimes in the past we've had some of these women um, that are super generous, Regnum Christi members, and they last about five years and get burned out because, and a lot of times it was probably our fault as priests and consecrated, like, okay, well, you know, you have to go to weekly, every week an encounter with Christ, and you've got to do this activity and pray all these prayer commitments, and you need an apostolate, and do this, and plus you've got a husband and kids, and if you don't do it all, you're a bad mom, and you're not a good RC member, okay? Well, your principal vocation as a married woman with children is first of all your husband, and it goes in this order by the way, it goes firstly your husband, then your kids. That's a classic mistake that we tend to make. We, it's much easier to be loving towards our cute kids and everything, and our spouse is like, comes home, and, and then the first thing that happens is you remember all the things he didn't do, okay? Um, the greatest gift you can give to your children, by the way, is the love that you as spouses live. If you live your marriage deeply, it will communicate itself to your children and it will communicate a sense of great security to them. If, on the other hand, you spend all your attention giving it to the kids and you and your spouse are kind of almost strangers, but you've got this common mission, your kids will pick up on it subconsciously. And then what happens, unfortunately, then a lot of times is the kids grow up, they move out, and you look at each other, it's like, I don't even know you, and then your marriage is at risk. So. Spouse first, children next. Uh, and then finally, commitment to society. What's this referred to? Okay, depending, uh, after the other three categories have been taken care of, okay, what do I do in the apostolate, essentially? What can I do? How can my Catholicism make a mark in society, in culture? This is my apostolate. Now, your apostolate, to a certain extent, this is kind of the genius of Opus Dei. You know, they say, look, again, what is your primary apostolate? Well, if you're in the workplace, you're, you know, yes, you can do and possibly should do extra things outside of that, but don't, remember, don't forget that if you're spending 40 hours a week or more at work, it's not like that's not an, you're not supposed to be a Catholic then. You're only Catholic in these free moments when you... Uh, on weekends and on mass and when you go to the soup kitchen or whatever. Uh, our apostolate is going to encompass your children, your family, uh, your work, your school if you're a student going to student or to school or whatever. And then also, hopefully, if, if circumstances allow, then yeah, you can engage in something where I dedicate a certain amount of my time to directly some form of evangelization or service you know, for the church. A lot of you, for example, are doing some form of pro-life ministry. Um, that, is, that would be a very legitimate apostolate. You're saying, look, once a week I go to the Crisis Pregnancy Center and help out doing whatever you do, okay? Very legitimate application. And as RC members, um, Circumstances permitting, we should all be engaging in some form of apostolate. Now, I say circumstances permitting because there are seasons in life. You know, sometimes your parents get old and they take a lot of your time, and that becomes your apostolate maybe for five years of your life. 
or whatever the particular case may be. Or perhaps your husband has one of those jobs where you're traveling and it really depends very much on what your practical circumstances are. But I think there should be a mentality. There's a difference between having, quote unquote, an apostolate and being an apostle. And I think ultimately that is what we're aiming at. How can I be an apostle? You can be an apostle 24-7 as a Catholic. You need to be an apostle 24-7. It's just the external expression of that is going to be a little bit different. So that is referring to the vocation statement. I'm not going to spend a lot of the time there because I don't think it's the most essential thing. But I do think it's important as we're beginning. It's, it's a good first step to kind of lay down again. Who am I? What is my situation? Because then if you come up with some program of life that makes you think you're going to be the next Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and again, you're married, and it's like, well, this is not reality, okay? Now, let's go to the program of life proper, which here, you, you want to turn to page 19 in the booklet, okay? It refers to, the first step is going to be, well, the first real step in this context has been a recognition again of God's love for me in your meditations especially because you guys are doing spiritual exercises format for this retreat the first stage is always what is God's love for me in the beginning with creation in those first meditations you're really just seeing what is his love and what was his plan of love before we messed it up right because that is our foundation. This is where our grounding comes from. And none of us, you know, this a program of life is not about self-help. This is not like, you know, Stephen Covey or, or any number of other great mat materials that are out there, with, you know, how to become more efficient or anything. Program of life is about a relationship with a person which, whose name is God, or if you want to be technical with three persons, whose name is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Uh, so it's a different kind of a thing. And none of us is going to be able to be a saint on our own. It is only by the grace of God. It's something we have to really get drilled down into. As Christ himself said in John 15, uh, we are united to the vine, separated from the vine, we can do nothing. We will bear no fruit, but united to the vine, we will bear much fruit because he will be the one who bears fruit in us and through us. <clears throat> so this booklet gives the image, which it gets from uh, Bob Schutz, who is involved in the healing ministry. It uses the image of a tree. This is something Father Vendetti took and kind of applied. Um, and the idea is this, a lot of times if you look at a tree, we look at the flowers or the fruits that it bears and everything, um, and which in this in the case of this analogy, the fruits are either our good or bad actions, right? If we're going to be looking at our defects, the obstacles to loving, then the fruits are going to be the sins, the concrete manifestations of sin in my life, my, you know, bad temper, my... You know, the way that I react, um, whatever your particular sins are, the concrete examples, the things that you bring to confession. For example, when you go to confession, you don't say, I have this dominant defect and it's there. That's, and the priest will say, that's nice. What did you actually do? 
I can't confess your dominant defect. I can confess your sins. I can forgive your sins, okay? And those sins do not just appear out of nowhere. They appear from each one of us has what is referred to as a dominant defect, which this is classic Regnum Christi language, saying, okay, behind every sin there's a reason I commit those sins, which is because I have a particular set of vices uh, in me. Something that is a little bit more of a novelty now for us as a movement is the idea of the roots. And here in this picture it says, my insecurities. I'm going to look at it this, from this perspective. In a lot of the healing ministry and stuff that is coming out, it's kind of becoming a fad. Um, I think there's a lot we can learn from it. I personally am engaging in one of the healing ministries. I'm starting to study with the encounter ministries, for example. But um, there is something that is kind of new which it's, it's always been there, but it's new for Regnum Christi to kind of focus that way, which is what are our wounds, okay? So the idea is this. We have a fundamental vocation in life to love and be loved. That, you could summarize, is the purpose for our being. You know, the catechism would say to know and love God, be happy with him in this life and eternally with him in heaven. But realistically, it's going to come down to knowing God, loving God, and knowing his love for me and being loved and you know embracing his love for me it's a no it's a love and be loved relationship that's what we're made for so what happens is because of original sin a and b because of our experiences and it's not because necessarily everyone is evil but because our parents are wounded people we're all wounded the people we go to school with in childhood are wounded, and the people we work with are wounded, and because we have life experiences that can sometimes shake us up, and because there are tragedies like unexpected deaths and whatever, we can get wounded in the process. We get hurt, okay? And the way we react to those wounds is you can, if we're already well advanced in the spiritual life, you know, saints take those wounds which are all, could also be referred to as crosses, and use them as fuel to grow in holiness. But if we are unaware, as all of us are at the beginning, because, you know, we're weak and fallen, um, if we are unaware or just simply not advanced, proficient in the spiritual life, what happens is we react to those wounds and we start making compensations. In the book Broken Gods that we used last year for our studies, we referred to the idea that there's the seven deadly sins, and corresponding to them are seven virtues. But corresponding to those seven virtues are seven fundamental longings of the human heart, right? So what happens is when we get wounded, one of those seven longings of the heart somehow gets whacked. We have a longing for peace, for example, and something shakes us up, and we start turning to false means false yeah false means in order to satisfy that fundamental longing okay when there's a wound there's something that's always crying out satisfy this need satisfy this need and because we're broken we turn to the wrong thing in order to satisfy that need if you're going to look at it from the perspective of the deadly, seven deadly sins, uh, which is, again, classically in RC, we have a different analysis, which we'll get into in a second. But, you know, for example, 
the fundamental desire for peace of heart. What is the false means of acquiring that? It is called laziness or sloth. But it's a, it's a false way of, I want to be peaceful, I'm just going to kind of kick back and, you know, relax, okay? Um, what is the actual, the virtuous way of achieving peace, which is actually the opposite, which is diligence, and you'll notice when you put it into practice, you receive peace of heart. A person who is diligent about, you know, I have these responsibilities, I do the things that I know that I'm supposed to be doing, it doesn't mean to get frenetic and all frenzied, but to simply to say, I know the things that I'm supposed to be doing in my life, and I'm going to be energetic in doing them out of love, what is the end result? You have peace of heart. You feel satisfied, right? All of us, I think, when we've fulfilled something great that we know that is a good thing, especially if it's something we know that we were supposed to do, once you finally get it done, there's a sense of just kind of fulfillment that comes from that. That is the fulfillment of the real desire for peace, and so on and so forth. So I'm not, the purpose of this is not to dig into all seven of these deadly sins. Uh, because historically in Regnum Christi, in the way that I tend to approach things too, so this is kind of my preferred approach, instead of looking at the seven deadly sins, we will tend to break things in our sea circles into three major roots, okay? And they don't really overlap entirely with the seven deadly sins, so don't try to think like pride covers these three and sensuality covers, it doesn't really, it's, it's just a, you're looking at the same thing but really from a different prism. So the three things that historically we would refer to in RC circles would be pride, vanity, and sensuality. These are the three root defects, okay? So, and here I'm going to ask a, a rhetorical question, and again, I don't have Siri to bother me. So, we could ask ourselves, okay, what do each of these means? I like the... I found it helpful to look at them in, from the perspective of where do I find my security, spiritually speaking. Where, a lot of what we're looking for when we commit sins or when we go through life, we're looking for things to make us secure. Now the easiest one to identify are the sins of sensuality. Okay? Sensuality is very straightforward. It means... I am looking for my security by satisfying my senses. Could be your physical senses, it could be your emotions. So, sins of lust. You know, I'm looking for happiness by satisfying my sexual urge, and that's where I'm going to get my security. Now, obviously, each of these has, they all derive from something good. Your sexuality is something good and beautiful and properly used. It is a great means to elevate in your vocation to God. Your laziness, um, it could be your gluttony. Gluttony is not only going to refer to eating a lot. It could, for example, why do some guys go out and get drunk all the time or do drugs? That also would fall under the sin of gluttony. Um, it's a particular version of it. So generally, your sins of sensuality are going to fall somewhere into those categories under sloth, laziness, Gluttony, which is kind of, you know, I guess uh, some sort of physical input that we use in order to receive a pleasure, right? Um, and lust, which is looking for happiness or security or whatnot through your sexual pleasure, 
right? Now, vanity and pride are more difficult to identify, and they do a good job disguising themselves. And by the way, that's something, this is a reason why I think it's good to have this talk multiple years in a row and to continually work on our programs of life because frankly speaking, your first one or two programs are probably not very good. Uh, and in a sense, it's no, there's nothing wrong with that. It just means that we are growing in self-knowledge. But what happens is our sins, they tend to disguise themselves and you'll identify something and you say, I've got it, you know. Um, I'll give you an example. There was a seminarian I was with. Um, and he would, he's a very intelligent guy. He, we were teamed up together. and We used to have these notorious road teams. So two of us get in a car and drive around for a month and come back once a month for a couple days for spiritual direction and detox so you don't kill each other in the next month. Um, and go out and do your thing. So if you have personalities that rub each other wrong, it takes a lot of virtue. And I rubbed everyone wrong, so I made a lot of people virtuous. Um, <clears throat> well, Sean Aaron was one of my road team guys. Huh? <laughs> and look at the heights of sanctity I, I helped him achieve. <laughs> um, but I remember he would sometimes have these bouts of anger. And he would also have, you know, kind of these disproportionate reactions to things. And you would think surface level, okay, root defense. You know, it's not like I was going around analyzing him, but you live with a guy long enough, you kind of figure things out. You would think root defect, pride, okay, you hit the wrong button, there's going to be an angry response or an impatient response or something like that. Well, in his case, the root defect was not anger at all. The root defect is the guy who was lazy as all get out. And sometimes if he felt he was being imposed upon to get out of his comfort zone in the area of laziness, the reaction would be an angry reaction because I don't want to have to do this. My laziness is being affected and therefore, rah, okay? So sometimes our vices can hide themselves. Um, so vanity is, I'm looking for my security in what do other people think about me, okay? It is a corruption of the root desire that we all have to be loved, okay? It is a, it is a, we all, again, we're made to love and be loved. The corrupt version of seeking to be loved, if we do so in a way that is selfish, it is about me satisfying, you know, my needs and irregardless of the other people, for example, that becomes the sin of vanity. Vanity has, again, different manifestations. It could be, you know, your, your classic example would be the 20-year-old beautiful girl, cheerleader, whatever, who's, you know, using her body and her good looks and all that to attract attention. That's a form of vanity. That's probably the one that is most stereotypical when you think of vanity, right? For guys, it would be the jock, you know, the football jock or whatever. Again, he's the cool guy with the, the big, robust body. Um, it could be the class clown. There's some guys that have to, or this is more a guy thing, I think, but the person who has to be the life of the party, but to the extent where if you're willing to do things that are stupid, you're willing to commit sin, you're willing to, you know, if everything is constantly about yourself and seeking the approval of others for selfish motivation or motives, that is the sin of vanity. 
The sin of pride is different, but a lot of times the two of them look like each other. The sin of pride is basically, it's all about you. You don't necessarily care what everyone else is saying or thinking about you, but you have to satisfy yourself that you are the best. You are the center of your own excellence. So people that are hyper-competitive, for example, will tend towards sin of pride. People that are always comparing themselves, and then that can lead to you know, putting other people down because I need to put you down in order to show myself and the rest that I am above you in whatever way. These things happen all the time. People that always have to be right, you know, those are classic examples of the sin of pride, okay? And in the, if you want to figure out what your root sin is, this is where the book does a very nice job, it gives you some tools. Um, how do I identify my, right, my root sin? First of all, pray. Okay, all of this stuff if, needs to take place in a context of prayer, and we need to be asking God. Give me the light, the grace. Illumine my mind and my heart, not just to jump at the first thing that comes across, but really to, under, to see myself the way you see me, God. Give me that light. And to know that your light is always going to, whatever you show me, even if you show me something ugly about myself, you always are doing it out of love with a desire to heal and a desire to elevate me. Um, so there are, first of all, it's, you know, sometimes good. Sometimes all you have to do is ask your spouse, hey, what's my root sin? He'll tell you. <laughs> sometimes you don't have to ask your spouse and he'll tell you. <laughs> or your, your teenage kids also do a good job. If you're wondering what your defects are, you just, those who are closest to you, um, they tend to be good at telling you. Somewhere in here in this book, there was a kind of an examine that we can do if you want to detect what are my defects. Okay, I like this. On page 26, there's a chart to help you identify your root sin. It's kind of like one of those self-help tests, okay? So if you have, you've never done this before and you want to really take a look, just go through and start asking yourself these questions. Now, what's going to happen is you're going to say, Father, I've got all of them. Everything is my root defect. <laughs> okay. True and false. Everybody in this room has all of the sins. We also have all of the virtues. However, we each have our particular ratio, if you want. Okay? So, if you look at yourself as you're examining yourself you will start to notice certain patterns. And you're going to start to notice there are certain sins that just keep popping up over and over again. Okay? That's a red flag. And what I recommend, this is why it's good, although in this retreat I don't think we've had time, but it's good sometimes if you're ever going to do what is called a general confession, which is a confession for your whole life. Um, Part of the purpose of a general confession, you know, if you've already had your sins forgiven, it's not so you can have them forgiven again because they're already forgiven, right? But part of the purpose is when you look at your life like the whole arc of your life, you're going to start noticing, when I was in grade school, these were my sins. You write them down. When I was in high school, these were my sins, the noteworthy ones. And in college and as a young professional and when I got married and now, and you're going to start noticing, hey, the same 
thing keeps popping up over and over again. It may manifest itself differently, but it keeps popping up. Okay, that's your root sin. Okay. Is it possible to have two root sins? It is. Um, normally, we're going to have one that is kind of our dominant one, but, for example, myself, I used to go back and forth depending on which year I did my program of life. Sometimes I would trend one way, sometimes I would trend the other. I think it had a lot to do with what were my external circumstances and what manifested, but I have two kind of more or less co-equal defects that work together. Uh, so it is possible. Um, I would, I would if I, for all of you, unless you happen to have been doing this for a long time, if, it, if you're relatively new at this, I would really just try to narrow things down to one. Your program of life does not have to be exhaustive, by the way. The goal is not to cover every single dimension of my life and my psychology. The goal is to get the big picture view. This is who I am. Um, <clears throat> so, this little exam on page 26 can be a help. I think it's good, though, if you want to look at your root defect, again, just take a look at the difference in front of the Blessed Sacrament, if you can, in a quiet place with a pen and paper. Just start looking at the different stages of your life and writing down, okay, what are the different sins that would pop up either really frequently or the big ones that were like big and hairy and, and, and obnoxious, okay? And one of the ones that really I feel like, even if I didn't do it maybe as often, but it really, I felt it hurt God and it hurt me. Okay, these are all different indications. Okay, your root sin is probably in this neighborhood. And then I would start kind of clustering and you will start seeing, okay, so I have, let's pretend your root sin is pride. I've identified, I've got these manifestations, I have a short temper, I always have a short temper, I can't handle when people correct me in public, and I always have to flare up, and I tend to be competitive, and you know, in a bad way, uh, not just to draw the best out of myself, but to prove to myself and others, even if I don't like to admit it in public, that I'm better. Um, okay, so then I would write down, root defect, pride, manifestations, these three things that I wrote down. Okay, when I get called out in public, you know, I react badly. When uh, there's, I'm in a group of people, I feel the need to uh, be better than everybody and let it be known that I'm better than everybody. Okay, start writing down the manifestations. And this is where it's good also to be nice and concrete. Um, because certain person, you don't have to write the person's name, you know, because just in case they pick up the piece of paper but didn't actually see it. But uh, you know, it's good to say, like, some people push your buttons. Some there are certain circumstances or certain personalities or personality types, for example, that'll push your buttons. That's actually a good. That's actually a good point of analysis. Are there certain types of people, for example? Let's pretend. You're a real easygoing person in general and in a social setting, but if there's an alpha figure in the room, you find yourself getting nervous. Okay? Why does the alpha male or alpha female make you nervous? Um, you know, there's a certain energy to an alpha personality and everything, but some people get excited and want to, you know, are followers and have no problem. But other people, it's like there's something, there's an unease there. Okay, well, that's probably saying something to you. Um, 
So then, like I said, we want to identify what is the root defect, what are some of the manifestations, and then comes the actual part of making a program. The program comes down to now that I know what are the things that drag me down in the spiritual life, what am I going to do about it? And by the way, this I think is critical. When you're doing a program of life, again, remember that everything always needs to be seen through the perspective of love. So when you're looking at your root defect, it's not just some abstract, these are the virtues, these are the vices. It's a matter of saying, what are the things that prevent me from loving? That's my root defect. What is the thing that most prevents me from loving and, and responding to God's love? That's the way we should look at our defects. It's not a matter of becoming perfect in every virtue and noble. It's a matter of saying, I am called to love. And there's because of my woundedness, there's something in me that prevents me from loving and, and accepting God's love on, unconditionally on his terms and maybe accepting the love of my spouse or the, the people around me that love me. Uh, what are the things there that prevent that? And therefore, what do I need to work on in order to, to get over it, okay? The rule of thumb is, um, you pretty much, once you've identified what your defects are, do the opposite. That's kind of the rule of thumb. Now, I will say this. Um, again, I think do the opposite, but always with the twist of in order to love. For example, a lot of times you say the root defect of pride. What is the opposite? What is the virtue that would correspond to the sin of pride? Humility, right? Okay. Yes and no. If you ask me, I would actually say more charity, personally. Why? Because charity and humility are kind of flip sides of the same coin. <laughs> humility, any theological book will say humility. It is the proper, you know, pride is a false self-estimation, the exaltation of yourself, you know, falsely. Humility is the proper estimation of yourself in the light of God. Um, however, in the practice, um, if you really want to be if you really want to overcome pride and work in humility, what do you do? It's not so much about thinking badly about yourself, as St. Louis says, or C.S. Lewis says. Um, it's not a matter of thinking badly of yourself, it's just a matter of or thinking less of yourself, it's just a matter of thinking about yourself less. So if we put, if we are busy working on how can I love? How can I simply forget about myself, work in charity, step out of myself, try to love my neighbor, try to do things for God? In the process, you don't have a lot of time to think about yourself in the first place. You will be growing in humility. You will overcome pride. So I think, I think any one of the virtues we're working on, we need to put that twist on it. It is always in function of loving. Uh, and this is simply the way that I am going to love, the way that I'm going to work on loving. Okay, when making a program, there are four characteristics that I always say. Number one, I'll say them quickly and then I'll go over them. They should be relevant. Everything you put on your program should be relevant, should be simple, it should be measurable, and it should be doable. So I'm going to go one by one. Okay, Relevant. Um, whatever you put on your program should correspond to what is the defect I'm trying to overcome and what is the virtue I'm working on. 
There is, you know, you can find an entire encyclopedia-sized book full of virtues and full of explanations and things you could work on in your spiritual life, okay? But if you just do the shotgun approach, you're probably not going to grow too much. So the purpose of a program of life is it is focused. Well, actually, I should, there's the fifth one, focused. Relevant, simple, measurable, doable, focused. <laughs> it should be focused, okay? It should be it should identify, this is my path to loving, so whatever I do is going to be in this vein. If I've identified I am a proud person and therefore I'm going to work on humility, okay, every one of your resolutions on there should somehow be tied to humility. Going to the park and feeding the Blue Jays, you know, does not, it's not relevant. Um, saying uh, I need to work on humility, therefore I'm going to skip on brownies because I love them, it's not relevant. It might be a nice sacrifice. It may help in your spiritual life, but it's not something that is proper to your program. I'm only gonna to grow in humility. I'm gonna over stop eating chocolate. Uh, you may have a, a disordered love of chocolate, and it may do you some good, but that's not something that corresponds to some of you are dying over here. So, <laughs> that's not what your main point should be. It may be a nice little side sacrifice that you can work on or something that may do you some good, but it's not the focus, it's not relevant to your program. Secondly, it should be simple. Um, what does that mean? This is the danger of the RC members that have been in RC for like three, four, five years. What happens is, at the beginning, you're clueless. Everything is new, everything is wonderful. Oh, this is great. And then gradually, as you start going to more talks and getting more spiritual direction and reading more spiritual books and going to Ascension Press, and you start wondering this big, gigantic Catholic world that is out there, you realize more and more all the different stuff there is out there. And you start thinking of all these wonderful means we could start applying again. And you come up with a program of life that's like 12 pages long. With a, with a motto that's like six lines long, and you're like, what the heck? You're not going to do this. Everything in here is good and true and beautiful, but if it's this big and complicated, you're not going to do it. So it should be simple. I think, honestly, uh, the classic approach is to say, you know, I'm going to have three different areas. My relationship with God, my relationship with my neighbor, which if you want, you can subdivide it into, you know, spouse, children, everybody else and possibly my relationship with myself, okay? So three areas and maybe a couple subcategories. And I would say, look, one or two things per category. My relationship with God, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna make sure I go to confession every two weeks and I'm going to focus on, you know, daily visits to the Blessed Sacrament, okay? Two things that I can focus on in my relationship with God. My relationship with my spouse, whatever. One or two things, and again, these are things that should be oriented towards the virtue that you're working on. Um, because otherwise we get this big unmanageable thing, and that's how it goes into your desk and collects dust. It should be something that you're going to pull out every day in your conscience exam, have it in your prayer book with a paper clip on the page where your conscience exam is. You turn to that page. It should be worn out. Uh, and... This is what I'm working on. Measurable. Uh, what does that mean? 
you should be able to say to yourself, did I work on this or didn't I? Did I accomplish it or didn't I? Um, now, it doesn't necessarily mean everything has to be a checkbox. Five minutes of this, pray the Angelus, do that, you know, the, nice. But you should be able to tell yourself, you know, was I working on it? Sometimes you get these programs of life. So what's your program? I'm going to be nice. <laughs> Gag me. What the heck does that mean? If, you were, if I were to put down on my resolution, today I'm going to be nice. First of all, I'm never nice, but uh, maybe it would be a good resolution. For, but secondly, I wouldn't even know what that, at the end of the day, when I'm trying to look at myself and say, was I nice or not? I have no, whatever that means. It should be clear. So if you have something really concrete, like, look, I'm going to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament of at least 10 minutes today, that's very measurable. I know. Did I do it or not? Or if you're going to, you know, something, I'm, a virtue I'm working on. Okay, I'm going to work on patience. And I know at work that practically comes down to these two women. Everybody else I don't have a problem being patient with. So this virtue really is for them. <laughs> okay? Now, in my dealings with them, I see them twice a day. Even if I failed, did I at least go into, okay, I know it's coffee break. Here it comes. Okay. If you go into coffee break knowing she is going to be there <laughs> and you're to, you at least try to be patient and everything, even if she hits your button and in the end you explode or something, you can at least say, I tried. I, you can measure that. But if it's just something super in the clouds, like I'm going to be nice, I'm going to pray more. What the heck does that mean? Pray more. <laughs> okay, again. Resolution, something that I can measure. Is it doable? Sometimes we get these programs of life. Okay, I'm going to go on the Camino of Santiago every week. <laughs> um, first, if you're an independent multimillionaire and you're retired, possibly, and you're in great shape, uh, and you don't have family members who ever want to see you, you know, but the reality is who's going to do that? I'm going to pray all 20 decades of the rosary and go to mass every day and do a holy hour and you know have three apostolates no you're not <laughs> so don't put it down if you're not going to do it okay should it be challenging sure but realistic doable um and that's it pretty much uh, are there any questions anything you would like especially from the old guard anything i may have missed or said badly or or whatever. It's amazing. Normally I talk way too long. I actually am almost within the boundaries. <laughs> uh, no questions, no comments, no concerns, anything that's unclear. So during your spiritual directions, what I recommend is, okay, spiritual direction during a retreat like this is not to come and talk about, you know, I had a bad day at work yesterday, and I'm so glad I'm on the retreat. It's basically going to be two things. One, what is the Holy Spirit telling you during this weekend? What are the lights, the things that are jumping out? And two, um, things relevant or pertinent to your program of life. Where do I think God is asking me? You don't have to have it all hammered out. I don't expect that. Um, but kind of an indication, where do I think my work is going to be going this year? Those, that's kind of a thumbnail sketch of what I would recommend for our spiritual direction during a retreat like this, okay?
Um, you will have, you'll notice your schedule has a lot more time on it. It's precisely so that you can get spiritual direction and do things like work on your program of life. It's not so that you can see Instagram or anything like that. Um, so we, are, we purposely give you more reflection time. And, uh, you know, feel free to check in. And if you have questions, you can always, uh, hopefully the priest will be available. Frankly, we're going to be pretty busy. Uh, yeah, Evelyn. It's not what? Yeah, okay, good point. Yeah, your program, like I said, well, that's related to the first point that I made, which, or one of the first, which is that your first one is probably not that good anyway. Your program of life is a tool. You may, it may be useful to you for a period, and then you kind of acquire a certain habit or virtue or whatever, and then you move on. And, um, and you will be growing in self-knowledge, so you know your programs of life may change as time goes on. The way that it's not set in stone, if you know, you will notice that more if you're actually going to spiritual direction regularly. If you're doing that, then you know it'll become clear and clearer. I put this down. I don't think it's relevant anymore, and maybe we should adapt it. Um, but I wouldn't say. I would say I would be slow to make changes outside of spiritual direction or outside of another retreat like this because what happens if you go out there and you're like, this is boring, I don't feel like doing it. Well, that just means you're being lazy, okay? Or you're being tepid and you probably are not as fervent as you were when you made it. So I would say there's, we should be cautious before just changing things too easily. Anything else? Should I, yes? Um, that depends. <laughs> is he a person who is also working in the spiritual journey the way you are? Uh, I would probably bring that up in spiritual direction, and once your director gets... It could, sometimes yes, sometimes no. You know, if you are both, like, committed Regnum Christi members, and you know each other inside and out, and it's coming from a place of benevolence and everything, and you have strong communication between... There could be... You know, honey, I'm working on this, and you know, let's let's hold each other accountable. That could be something good, but it, it really depends. So that's a spiritual direction question. Anybody else? Nobody else back there. All right. Well, I've been blabbing long enough, so I'm gonna wrap it up here. So let's finish with a quick prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We give you thanks for your gifts, Almighty God, living and reigning now and forever. Amen. Christ our King. Virgin most prudent, Mary Mother of the Church, pray for us in the Holy Spirit. Amen.